the most successful people focus on finding the real parts of a story, the real quotes, the unexpected elements of it. And when I read that bit, I just think, absolutely, you have guessed what the objection might be yep. from a cynical funder. What is this gimmick? And you've got a really strong rationale for why you chose this, what I would call wow tactic, that absolutely there's a reason why you chose this format. Because he then starts giving example after example of where they have tried something, it hasn't worked, they have learnt from it, and then that's what they're using to try and create an even better solution, an even better suggestion. Hey there, brave fundraisers. Welcome back to the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name's Rob Woods, and this is the podcast for anyone who wants ideas, examples, and maybe a little dose of inspiration to help you raise more money and really enjoy your job. And this time, I'm very excited to again get the chance to do one of these shows with my good friend, Ben Swart. How are you, Ben? I'm very good, thank you, Rob. Excited for this. Thank you very much. So the story is we said we would meet up and do one kind of review of the year, of our podcasting year, and talk about a couple of the episodes which we especially liked. But inevitably, we had some arguments about which ones really <laughs> needed to make the cut. Um, of course, I'm a big fan of so many of the episodes we did. And thank you again to all of the wonderful guests who kindly gave up their time and came and shared their story. Uh, but this time of year, we tend to make an extra show or a couple of shows about some of the ones we just couldn't bear for our listeners not to know about. So this is the second one of those. I don't know how many we'll have time to squeeze in this time, Ben, but let's get going. And our listeners probably know about Ben, either because he's done a team day for you through Brightspot, or maybe because you've heard some of the episodes he's made with me before, especially ones about corporate fundraising or about storytelling. But let's get into it now, Ben. As you look back on Fundraising Brightspot's podcast episodes across 2023, was there another one which you really like and you would love for our listeners to know about and make a beeline to go and listen to yeah definitely rob it's number 143 with sally flatman uh sally is incredible i'm very lucky to have spent a few months working with her to try and build a workshop on the topic of storytelling and one of the reasons why sally is just so credible as an artist on storytelling is that she spent 30 years as a BBC radio journalist, radio producer. In particular, the end of her career was spent producing the BBC Radio 4 Appeal. And so despite her being a storytelling expert, the content that's in this episode feels a little bit like you're getting almost a quantitative version of a qualitative topic because she's seen or helped or coached or supported 45 charities a year, every year for five years to make best use of two minutes and 40 seconds that they will get on Radio 4 on a Sunday morning at 7.55 in the morning. And I love this because she must have worked with about 250, 300 charities, coached and worked with them for nine months. They get access to the BBC production team and her support as well to try and help them make best use of that time. And this episode, you essentially ask her, in all that time, what are some charities where you've noticed they've just performed better than others? 
Um, and now bear in mind that Sally doesn't have her favourite charities that she gives more support to. She even said to me, you know, everyone gets access to the same amount of support, the same training briefing, the same ideas, the same amount of time. Some of her favourite charities, let's put it in perspective, I mean, I did it myself. Early on in my career, we won this appeal, and I think we raised about £6,000 from it. That's what we raised, uh, which is something like £30 a second, <laughs> which sounds quite good. But actually, the average that you can raise in two minutes and 40 seconds is around 20, 25, 30,000 pounds, which is incredible. The charities she remembers most, most fondly, she said, for what their teams did from the moment they found out they won. Well, one of them raised 97 and a half thousand pounds in two minutes and 50 seconds. Another one raised over 140,000 pounds in two minutes and 40 seconds. And again, let's put it back into perspective. That means they're raising over 600 pounds every second of the appeal. I love this episode because she talks about two or three of the things that they did differently to other people to be most likely to raise that amount of money in that very short space of time. Yeah, thank you. Ben. And the truth is, we can't go into all of it because we'll do the whole episode all over again. I really recommend people go get a level of curiosity. Well, wh what was the difference? It wasn't just luck. Certain things increase your chances of your message, your story, inspiring someone to take action and go and do the thing and go and donate. And interestingly, the ideas there aren't just for Radio 4 appeals. You could yeah. apply lots of the same insights to when you've got 100 people coming to your event and you've got 10 minutes to inspire them or what's going to go in our appeal letter. So much of the same insight can help in lots of different fundraising contexts. It's just that here, how handy does this metric to back up certain patterns she's noticed? We haven't got time to talk about them all, Ben. If for now you were just to mention one of the clear patterns she's noticed principles they follow through on which one would you choose to just remind us of now if i were listening to this i would go onto the podcast and have a deep deeper listen because you'll hear about how passionate she is about storytelling and how she has said the most successful people focus on finding the real parts of a story the real quotes the unexpected elements of it but that's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about how hard they work. She said there was one particular team that worked so hard to understand and appreciate what it would be like to be a Radio 4 listener. And I know we talk about this a lot in our influencing training, in your major giving training, in our corporate training. It is impossible for me to help somebody, to influence somebody, to help them want to care about my cause if I don't first seek to understand and appreciate their world. It's impossible for me to do that. And she said that the teams who raised more money, they didn't do what average people did. They went to a whole different degree. Like she talks about people and this whole game, she said, is the level of energy they went to get more insight. And she talks about people who they didn't sit in the office and find old clips of Radio 4 and listen to it while they were in the office to figure out what's it like to listen to the radio. She said they would wake up deliberately at 7.55 on a Sunday morning. Someone's entire team did this. I think it's the Minds Advisory Group, MAG. They all woke up at 7.55 in the morning, switched on their radio, and figured out what is it that we're doing. You know, one of them was making a kettle, another one was feeding the cat, and they wanted to figure out what is it that we'll have to say on this radio to, in Sally's words, get someone to stop 
the kettle so that the noise isn't so loud, so I have to listen. They all woke up at that time. That is a different level of, of caring. The, the other thing they did was, and when I've delivered training, and um, when Sally and I did this workshop, we've played a game on this. We've asked the question, who do you think a Radio 4 listener is? What are they actually like? You know, it's insight on that audience. It's not about me. It's about the audience. And they worked really, really hard to answer that question. The sort of gender that they are, the age they are, the likelihood for them to be sometimes more educated, more intelligent, likelihood to be a parent, she says. You know, it reminds me of my mother-in-law, Rob. Um, when, I, when I go to stay there, they have Radio 4 on. They're telegraph readers. But this charity found six or seven people who were just like that. And they practice their stories and their scripts to try and see if it landed. Um, on the podcast, Sally talks about, as a radio producer, you might have noticed or heard something wonderful from a piece of recording you've got that you personally love, that you think is the most important thing. But when you play it to another radio producer or to another audience, they might glaze over because <laughs> to them it's just not working. And she said they exhibited this skill of looking out for what this audience most cared about so if we think they're a telegraph reader or that they respect someone from the telegraph or that they're a bit like my mother-in-law someone who grew up at a time that they care about you know royalty if you listen to the mag appeal they're very deliberate the person at the heart of it is the head of international journalism at the telegraph the stories that he shares are from his own experience as being a parent and of another parent and they very clearly talk about when princess diana <laughs> visited their work but it's so deliberate what they've done it is not a surprise that they've then gone on to raise nearly a hundred thousand pounds in that time there's many other bits to this episode that i i think you should listen to and you can also hear rob's other tips as well what's the next one you quite like oh yeah i mean you know ben and some of our listeners know there's various different techniques we have found can help you raise more money but one of our favorites for the last five or six years we call wow moments by which we mean if as a fundraiser you can find a way to try that bit harder to go a bit above and beyond to create an experience or an insight or a connection for your supporter beyond what they normally would have expected a charity would do then the paradox is though it can be harder work often the level of reward is 9, 10, 20, 100 times more than if you broadly work hard but ultimately do what most people do when they're working hard. So one of my favourite episodes this year was number 142 with the wonderful David Burgess. And the setup is, this is a trust fundraising topic. Interestingly, David of Apollo Fundraising for years has been a very good fundraiser including applying for trusts and foundations to give a grant. But in the last few years, he has also been on the other side of the fence as the person who's reading applications and potentially making a decision as to which ones make it to the shortlist and which ones mm. get the grant. Now, I'm sure most of our listeners already work really hard when they fill in a trust proposal or funding application they work hard to get the good information they even work hard to make it said interestingly or original or a bit different where possible <laughs> but david said just picture this there he is there was this money that he was a had the power to give away to good causes and there were literally 
more than 250 charities that had applied for it. With the best will in the world, for the first 60, he was trying to read each one really carefully. Can you see how he is going to get tired? And he said, after a point, even the the really good ones only stand out like 10% more than the others. Almost all of them blend into a certain look and feel of what is a sensible way of doing an application in this style, it was freestyle. There was no strict format. They said, just put on a bit of paper why your need is important and, and why it would make a difference. But almost all of them looked the same. But he said, imagine my delight when about halfway through, one of them just looked completely different. And on the episode, he talks about this treatment of a fundraising application by a great fundraiser called Matt Zakiri who at that time worked for a fairly small charity, a, a mental health charity, I think. And maybe we'll put in the episode notes broadly what the first page looked at. But for yeah. now, I'll try and put it in words. The gist of it is on the left-hand side, there was a picture of two avatars, a picture of a, a young woman in her 30s and a picture of Matt, uh, a guy in his 30s or 40s with a like, natty little beard. And all the way through on the right-hand side is basically their words and they're having a conversation it's a three or four page conversation between these two characters. And if you look at the top, it says, and this is the foundation speaking. Hello, to kick things off, please, could you tell us a little bit about your organisation? And then Matt's character says, certainly chapter provides support to people with severe and enduring mental illness in Cheshire, West and Chester. And then he goes on to say a little bit more detail about what those wonderful services are. And then, but not too much, it gets broken up because then the other character says, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Or why do you do it that way? And does it work? And so on. And the whole thing is so easy on the eye. It's so enticing. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking, well, that gimmick wouldn't work for my funders. Like, where's the substance? The interesting thing is a different tactic, a wow tactic on its own will get you so far. It might buy you the first 5, 10, 30 seconds of attention. You do need to then show up with high quality mm -hmm. narrative, story, argument, substance. But Matt's done both. It is not either or. He had substance before, but he didn't want it to blend in with all the other 249. He chose to work that bit harder and help us want to read the substance of this important need and how effective the solution was by writing it in this conversation. Now, we need to move on soon because really I recommend you listen to David just talk about it, but there's one other touch I especially love, and this is at the end. The last bit says, is the, the character from the foundation saying, thank you for your time. Just one more question. Isn't this conversational format just a gimmick to make you stand out? And the last <laughs> word comes from Matt. His avatar says, of course, we hope it makes us stand out. But talking is very important to chapter. One to one communication is the backbone of our support. So we thought there was no better way to showcase our work than by having a chat. Thanks very much for listening to us. And when I read that bit, I just think absolutely you have guessed what the objection might be yep. from a cynical funder. What is this gimmick? And you've got a really strong rationale for why you chose this, what I would call wow tactic. That absolutely, there's a reason why you chose this format. And when we do our Wow Your Donors courses, and maybe I'll tell you a little bit more in a moment about the next one coming up, 
that's a really interesting thing because early on lots of fundraisers have some creative ideas sometimes really wacky ideas of ways to stand out get the attention shock people into paying attention in pitches in films in meetings there's really some outlandish things we hear some of them do work have worked but the ones that that really work are where it wows them and it gets their attention but once they've read it or listened to it or played with the prop or whatever it is it makes absolute sense why you chose to do it that way i mean we i could tell you 10 examples but just one neat one i can sum up is when a brilliant fundraiser called daisy from a dementia charity applied to a charity of the year application with a wine company and she chose to fill in the application form obediently on their you know quite restrictive template of why they felt their charity suited that company but once she printed it out she then rather than just you know send it by email or whatever she rolled it up and she put it in a wine bottle and delivered it like a message in a bottle <laughs> it works because she's tried to understand and appreciate the world that she's trying to connect with and all of the best examples we teach are where the fundraiser has uh, to greater or lesser extents made it stand out but we totally understand why the creative treatment matches similarly this year we did a wonderful episode with beatrice sayer from magic breakfast relatively small charity she stood out and ended up being chosen this time last year as one of three charities chosen by the times and sunday times appeal because her funding application to request being one of those was beautifully and very skillfully in the format of a times newspaper with all these different stories and she worked really hard to make it feel like the way the times does it and again our listener might be listening to that and thinking well it's kind of obvious isn't it we probably would have done that i can tell you lots of people have these good ideas and honestly 49 times out of 50 they get left on the flip chart it feels too big a risk and or too much time and or someone senior tells you to to just get on get on with being straightforward and they don't happen and yet beatrice followed through on the courage of her convictions got it done and I forget the exact total, but it was more than a million raised, something was, like 1.3 yeah. million pounds raised for a relatively small charity because Beatrice chose to do the wow treatment. And Rob, I, I love this content. You know, I can remember when you, you, you first discovered how this works five, six years ago. And over the space of the last five or six years, person after person comes up to me at a conference, sends me an email or talks about where they first learnt this, at, whether it was our podcast or our content, tried it out and it improved their results, their likelihood to get a meeting, their confident, whatever it was. I love this content and I'm interested, will we ever put on another Wow Your Donors Day? <laughs> well, Ben, I'm so excited. The last one of these we did as just a one-off. I mean, we, we just do like half an hour or an hour of it sometimes in our mastery programs because that's all we have time for we used to do a one day wow your donors course but the last one was scheduled to be in march 2020 <laughs> <laughs> literally and we had to cancel because yeah. everything went into lockdown so it's three years later we are bringing it back our wow your donors course and it's going to be 
depending on when you are listening to this, is going to be the 5th of March, 2024. Apologies to our listeners in Australia and South Africa and all of the other countries. I'm so sorry, maybe you won't be able to justify flying over. I mean, by all means, it is going to be pretty good content, but maybe flying from Sydney would be too big a stretch. But if you're based in the UK, you're able to get to London for the 5th of March. We're going to do an entire day with my colleague Craig, who's an individual giving specialist, about all different ways you can apply the wow moment concept to fundraising. Winning pitches, getting appointments with companies that were ignoring you, trust applications, films, internal influence, thanking, stewardship... We've got so many examples now from brave creative fundraisers just going above and beyond in ways that Ben and I could never have thought of ourselves. People like Beatrice, people like Matt, that it's such a wonderful smorgasbord of examples. And you cannot hear example after example of that and not realise, hang on a minute, we could do something a bit like that. Even if we don't do it quite the way Matt or Beatrice would have, we can definitely stand out ahead of the other 249 in in that metaphorical pile. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. And we will uh, put in the episode notes how you can find out more about that course and the earlier discount and all the rest of it. There's one other thing I wanted to say about Wow Your Donors, which is one of the happiest things we've had, Ben, like you say, is some brilliant people over the years have been hearing these stories, going and finding their own way of applying this. And it just makes me so happy, A, to hear those, and then B, with permission to share them on to help other people in other good causes. So for the first time, what we've decided to do is do a little competition where anyone who's ever heard Ben or me or Craig teach this wow moment concept in one of Ben's team days for charities, in our mastery programmes, or even in our breakfast club or listening to this podcast, if you've ever learned this idea from us and heard an example and gone away and found a way of making it work for you in your charity, we would love to hear your wow moment story. So we will put a link again in the episode notes whereby you can fill in a really short little form. Basically, tell us what you did, what you were trying to achieve for that corporate or for to thank those legacy pledges or to persuade your colleagues to better understand fundraising or whatever. What did you do? That special thank you moment, stewardship moment you did when you went something a bit different and made it special. If you would like to share it and potentially have it inspire other people or even just to let us know that it helped, um, please, please let us know. Fill in the form. But also, as a little thank you, as a bit of fun, we've made it a little competition. We may not be able to send prizes to everyone, but at the very least, we're going to choose three of them, which make us go well. Uh, and we've got various prizes, including first prize is a free ticket to that Wow Your Donors course on the 5th of March. And also, if you're travelling from within the UK, we'll look after your travel expenses as well so that you or someone from your charity can come and experience that whole Wow Your Donors course for free. Brilliant. I cannot wait, Rob, and I can't wait to hear about what people send us. With that in mind, I've noticed that often to be the sort of culture that enables you to feel creative be this sort of risk-taking culture, you need to have a different view on something like failure, which is a nice segue by me, I think a very good segue, oh, into well my, done, other fa- my other favourite one, which is podcast number 135, 
with Richard Turner from Solar Aid on permission to fail. There are so many things I like about this episode. One of them is just just the way Richard talks. He is a wonderful storyteller. Uh, I can see why if a donor speaks to Richard or gets anywhere near him, I I want to be part of what he's talking about. But the other thing is Richard says failure was built into Solar Aid's beginning. Richard opens the podcast by talking about when he joined Solar Aid in his induction he's told about the story of why Solar Aid was founded in the first place and it was founded on a mistake it was founded on a failure and I think you've said to me that you know to begin with they thought they'd need a lot of different products and they even started trying to give these products to the communities that they could help but they found quite early on people didn't like them didn't want to use them they wanted something else and so very early on in the dna of this organization is it is okay to fail if we try something and learn and i love this episode because he then starts giving example after example of where they have tried something it hasn't worked they have learned from it and then that's what they're using to try and create an even better solution and even better suggestion yeah and in fact it comes across because the truth is lots of leaders lots of cultures lots of charities do their best to signal to people that it's okay to try things it's okay to even fail and make mistakes just talk about it they do that and yet the colleagues the new starters uh the people at the front line of fundraising or wherever are also receiving other signals there are mixed messages whereas i think Richard is so congruent that failure genuinely is a great thing. You're right. Richard sends the signals in a whole host of different ways. One of them is uh, he talks about donors where he doesn't send them an impact report. He sends them a failure report, a report (laughs) summing up everything they've learnt. He's obsessed with what is it that we can learn because he said honesty helps and you know some people absolutely love it this report just shows how open and transparent they are and um, in another life when i'm not helping organizations through bright spot i uh, i'm actually a board member on the asos foundation and in conversations i've had with them i've been talking to our pretty remarkable head of giving and, and the foundation called james he used to work at morgan stanley he now works at asos foundation always about helping once you give a charity a gift how can we demonstrate the impact that it's given and he said to me do you know nothing baffles me more than when a charity sends me in their report how much they thought the budget would be and then when they show me how much they spent it's pound for pound penny for penny identical to what the budget was (laughs) and he's like we all know how life works it's not that simple it's not that easy and it's the same with here's what we pictured the KPIs would be and here's what the results were identical to the same he said I have to get back in touch with them and say please tell me the truth like be honest be open and that's kind of stuck with me now from a funder's side of we want to know what that impact is and I love that Richard is very clear of that he does have some really smart watch outs as well I think he said they've done research into this and found that if you're going to talk to donors about failure there's different sorts of donors that really like it there's some donors who if you're part of a big foundation or big company foundation and you're not the only decision maker you've got to get decisions throughout the organization they might not be the sort of one who wants to fund something that's so open to failing I love that he's got this sort of insight and yet if you're somebody who's talking to a philanthropist or a smaller foundation or a big foundation but with one or two key people who give they may be the people who are more open to this honesty and this failure but obviously he sought this out and looked for it he said for me it's always about the long-term game if we take our time we'll maximize the learning 
will raise more money. This is an outstanding podcast to help you reframe how you view any element of your life. I often in my training talk about some of the earlier meetings I went on with donors where I walked away from them. The ask didn't go well. We didn't get the money. And on the walk back, I'd think, is this even the right job for me? And it's only when I analysed that and compared it with what some of the best fundraisers were doing, with some of the tactics that we've got on our members club and other things. So anyway, I looked at that that you begin to see there's a difference. What's the little thing I can do differently? If I celebrate, it didn't go well this time. What have I learned? What can I do differently? Small or big, I love the way that Richard celebrates failure in, in this episode number 135. Yeah, one of the phrases, I forget where I first heard it, but it really stopped me in my tracks and it helps me. I don't always manage to, in the moment, take it to heart, but there was something along the lines of every setback or thing that doesn't work out every potential thing that appears to be going wrong now and again in our lives has the seed of an advantage as great or usually far greater in value than in the short-term setback down on the deal emotion you are feeling but only if you search for it Mm. and it's definitely true sometimes when I have some things in my life that go wrong. I feel like I tried my hardest and it didn't work and I deserve it deserved to work on something stings. Definitely there's moments when I can't find the silver lining. Of course. But it's amazing when I look back on my career to certain moments where really at the in the moment I wanted it to have worked and it didn't. Now when I look back on it, had that worked that day. I just wouldn't have learned or worked harder at a certain thing or got a certain insight, which now is absolutely much more valuable than the value of the seeming loss at the time. Yeah, I mean, the biggest partnerships I ever won, Rob, were because at some point the company said no. At some point we lost a pitch. At some point a decision maker didn't want to do what we wanted to do, which was a chance to understand why, what could we change, what could we do differently? And then a year later, sometimes a month later, sometimes five years later, a partnership is built, money is raised, and we're on reflection, pretty much every successful partnership or gift we got in started with us getting it wrong somewhere. But I love that advice. Calmly afterwards, you know, feel angry for sure, but calmly afterwards, what is it we could change? And you sense from Richard just how much he's put this through the culture of Solar Aid. Yeah. And part of it is one act rarely will be enough. Part of it is you just have to keep going over and over again, sending the signal that it is safe, it is okay to for not everything to go well, and we love you if and when you share something that didn't yeah. go well. But a key insight from talking to Richard and Tess uh, in a great episode on leadership last year and so on is it. The words are one thing, but the really most important thing a leader can do to create that culture is to live it, to model it, to to act that way. And that requires you, the leader, being honest and vulnerable and not just once, but for it to be, be your habit that people know that you are living this practice too. And over time, the more they see you signal that that is okay. In fact, it is what high achieving successful fundraisers and leaders do i know liz tate does this paul mckenzie does this really good leaders aren't getting things right all the time and they're sharing they're working they're letting others know 
that that is the case and the more they do it, then people in your team are gradually more likely to take risks and discover that the same is true and they too will be emotionally or psychologically safe in your culture. Absolutely, Rob. What a tremendous set of podcasts. <laughs> thank you, Ben. Uh, and thank you again to all of our wonderful, generous guests, uh, most of whom are very busy frontline fundraisers and leaders, a few of whom are also consultants or trainers as well. But to everyone who in 2023 made time to generously come and share their ideas, examples and insights on the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. Thank you ever so much. I really do appreciate from me and also on behalf of all our listeners how much we appreciate this time you give to share these stories. And thank you to you, Ben, for making time to share some more insights and your favourite episodes. We'll put links to all of these ones we've mentioned in the show notes. Thank you to our listeners now. I, as always, appreciate you listening and supporting the show and sharing it on. And I look forward to sharing another episode with you very soon. But for now, Ben, listeners, brave fundraisers, thank you. I will catch up with you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.